When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome to day two of Purple Daily inside the Pro Football Focus offices. Matthew Collar here co-hosting again for the day is Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. We will have several other guests coming through. We'll talk a little bit of Vikings draft picks who are not named Irv Smith and Garrett Bradbury and what their prospects could be. We will talk a little bit of uh, Vikings defense later on in the show and how good the Vikings defense can be. I saw that the Vikings pass rush was only ranked 14th in the NFL. Eric, I'm outraged. I'm outraged. Right. I mean, all... justify this to me right now. Well, our pro football focus is. Um... Mean you know reason for existing is to make the fans feel good about their favorite team this time of year, so. <laughs> is that because Sheldon Richardson isn't there I think so and then and then you're talking about you know also you know Stephen Weatherly had a good half a season right um and, and Daniil Hunter is always interestingly Daniil Hunter is, his pressure totals are not necessarily as high as you know the the truly like the top five guys in the league you know the max and the and the um bond millers and so so don hunter doesn't grade as well as vikings fans perceive him and then of course everson griffin you need to sort of look and say okay well was last year an aberration is he going to go back to you know 16 and 17 or is he going to kind of you know pass rushers do generally age well but uh, that's a case-by-case basis with everson um how do we figure that out? I mean, you know, he deals with an off-the-field issue last year, and then for the rest of the season he was a step slower than he would have normally right. been had he just continued to play all the way through the year, which kind of tells you, I think, about the level of sort of shape that these guys have to be in to be at their absolute peak for an entire season long. And if anything is off by a little bit, you can have your play slip because – that's how crazy competitive the NFL is. But trying to figure out with age, you mentioned that they age uh, decently. But at the same time, when you're talking into your 30s, it does get a little tougher than it used to be. And if you're coming off of a down half a season, second half of a year, I think you would naturally project that it's not going to just bounce back to 2017. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I, it's hard because... Pass rushers age well, but they have to be used well, right? So you look at guys like Dwight Freeney, who, you know, even to the point where he wouldn't be signed by the team, 
that you know would have him until like week eight, right? I remember he went with the Cardinals that one yeah. year they made a run. I think he went with like Detroit once, uh, Seattle maybe another time. And you know Cameron Wake right now, he was a terrific all every down pass rusher early on in his career, but now he's a you know he's a situational guy. The thing with Zimmer though that's difficult when you project Everson moving forward is he has never really wanted to use players like that situationally, right? right when he correct. when he went from Robinson to Hunter. Hunter was a full-time player, right? He became a full-time player. Robinson became a bit player and then eventually, uh, you know, got cut and retired. Griffin's never been a guy that's taken that many snaps off. They've never developed. I mean, Hunter was like kind of a nice come up in that like he was drafted third round and developed, but they've never really gone out of their way to develop, you know, backup players. Weatherly was kind of a lucky one as well. So, if if they were to use Griffin in like a 400, 500 snap role, I'd be far more uh, confident that he could be an effective pass rusher. The thing is, though, is I think that they're going to try to play him 800 snaps. And, that, and to me, that like lessens the probability that he's super effective. The Vikings' plan for defensive ends, backup defensive ends, has been draft a bunch of them in the seventh round and see if one... It comes up, uh, you know, and, and works out, and maybe Weatherly will, maybe Afadi Adenabo will. I mean, these are guys that you can't really be certain of, even after seeing a half a year of Stephen Weatherly looking like a pretty decent player. Them bringing back Everson Griffin kind of tells you that there's enough questions there that they wouldn't just hand him over the job. And the fact that Richardson isn't there, I think that that's an impact too. And um, I think we discussed it a little bit yesterday with Sam Monson, but. Sheldon Richardson may have not been the best defensive tackle in the league, and he may not have been the most consistent from a week-to-week basis, but the great weeks that he gave you really helped you get closer to winning. I mean, that week one game against San Francisco, he was as dominant as any player in the NFL at that position that week. He played like Aaron Donald that week, but they just could not stop Sheldon Richardson. And a couple other of the weeks throughout the season, he was really effective, forcing teams to pay attention to him. And now there's a bigger question mark. So if you're ranking them, if you have Sheldon Richardson, this proven monster on the inside, versus Hercules Mata Afa or Jalen Holmes or Jaleel Johnson, guys who are just aren't proven at all, rotating in with Shamar Steffen, who does not grade well by pro football focus, there's a lot more question marks. So yeah. I can understand why they wouldn't be a top five pass rushing team. Yeah, and the, the thing is, is like everybody wants to dock Richardson for not being uh, consistent, right? And I do agree that consistency matters, but for for pressure players, you almost never get it, right? It, it, you're, the number of wins you get over the course of a year is more important necessarily than being consistently like, you know, you look at Hunter's pressure totals last year, you're talking about 8, 2, 2, 4, 6, 7, 5, 1, 6, 7, and you know, he trails off at the end of the season. Those guys, they go up and down, right? And, and it's about winning a lot. You know, and Sheldon Richardson won a lot. It was in some games more than others, but he was certainly effective there. Whereas I think Shamar Stefan is consistently the devil you know. He, he's not going to get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. He's not going to be terrible in run defense, but ultimately that adds up to a guy who I think is maybe half the player that Richardson is. So uh, what I wanted to do here in our first segment, but Jonathan sent me the email and I saw 14th and I thought, oh, I can't wait to look at your mentions when you guys tweet that out of Vikings fans being enraged that they are ranked 14th in, in pass pressure. Now wait, before I get into this, does that also take into account how much Anthony Barr does as a pass rusher? Uh, well, I yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. You know, I didn't write that article, but I would say that that's probably 
a a small part of it because I mean the issue is is we just simply don't know how much he's going to rush the passer. Historically, they've always said that we're going to do it more. We're going to do it. You know, we're going to be more creative here. And he's had years where he has done hardly any of it. He had years where he did hardly any of it and was super effective. And he had years where he did it a lot and wasn't that efficient. So, um, you know, I think he's a small part of that, but not. You know, I think anybody that comes into the year thinking Anthony Barr is going to be a huge part of the Vikings' pass rush is, is I think, overcorrecting. So I want to work our way around the divisions as we go throughout today's show and tomorrow's show. I want to get to all of them and, and just break them down a little bit, especially if you're somebody who likes to put down a small wager on over-unders and things like that. I know that uh, PFF enjoys looking at how teams are going to perform versus what Vegas thinks they're going to perform. And we were talking a little bit on a PFF podcast earlier, PFF Forecast, which is your podcast, um, and we were talking a lot about the New England Patriots and the AFC East. So I want to start there, and as we have guests work their way in, and, and we'll do hot routes as well, we'll just pick a random division and then go through it and uh, maybe we'll end tomorrow with the NFC North or something. So with the AFC East, Eric, is there any chance anyone is even good <laughs> aside from New England? Like, New, Is New England just, should we just write them in right now? Is there any even conversation within the pro football focus walls of anyone challenging the New England Patriots for the AFC East? Well, it's really tough because there are some redeemable qualities of some of these teams. So, for example, the Jets have a quarterback who, in the last four games of last season, was our highest-graded quarterback. Really? Pat Mahomes wow. was second, but Sam Darnold, if you go back, and if you have, like, Game Pass or something you want to go back, watch his game against Green Bay. He was terrific. I mean, he had the Packers on the ropes in that game. Uh, Robbie Anderson's a good target, uh, so on and so forth. But that defense doesn't have a lot of talent. They they signed Anthony Barr to play edge, which was a guy which is a position they really needed. He flakes on them, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have really much in the way of of veteran edge pressure. Their secondary struggled. I know uh, Jamal Adams is probably the best safety in the NFL, but you know they they struggle with the other safety position in Marcus May at corner. They signed Tremaine Johnson from the Rams, and he was a bust. Uh, so they're they're there's not a they're not a great whole team, and you're you're betting on a young quarterback to be to overcome that in year one, and we've really only seen like guys like Pat Mahomes do that, right? So, you know, their over under is about seven. Uh, I would say, you know, if you're a betting person, the under is probably good there because something jetsy will always happen. <laughs> Plus, Adam Gates is their head coach, and there's a there's a lot to be desired there. Uh, we still don't know what he was looking at in that press conference. Exactly, it's never been revealed uh, what was going on with his eyeballs. Exactly. So Miami should win like two games, and poor Josh Rosen. I, I saw. Yeah. Um, listened to the podcast with Sam Monson the other day and Mike Renner, and they were talking about how uh, Miami has an offensive line that's every bit as bad as Arizona's was last year. So Josh Rosen goes from a team that was a complete mess with a new coach who didn't know what he was doing and very few offensive weapons, an age Larry Fitzgerald, David Johnson, who's not being used properly by their offense for most of the season. And, of course, Josh Rosen is a disaster in year one, similarly to Jared Goff in Los Angeles, just kind of a mess. And then, okay, great, he's going to get traded somewhere, so he'll have a better surrounding cast. And yet, no, no, he won't. So the Dolphins are more in line to get Tua from Alabama than they are to see Josh Rosen rise up and become this great quarterback, he might be... We don't really see this anymore. You know, in in football, we used to see every once in a while, 
your quarterback gets drafted fairly high and is kind of a bust, and then he shows up somewhere else and is really good. And maybe like Vinny Testaverde would be an example. And he becomes somebody who teams can put in and win games with. Kerry Collins did this with the I Giants mean, frankly, in Tennessee. Frankly, Drew, Drew Brees kind of did it, but that's yeah, yeah. you know last. But, but we're a talking a long time ago. It just doesn't really seem to happen anymore. Yeah, and so like you get your one shot, and that's it. The the thing that the I think that the Dolphins have going for them though is that unlike their previous regime, they I think they are going to be smart. I think you know Flores and and company are putting together something that will eventually bear fruit. I just don't think in year one it's going to... We did see last season that they were very good at manufacturing yards after the catch with guys like Albert Wilson, guys like Jaquim Grant. Um, Kenny Stills is a pretty good wide receiver. Kenyon Drake's a good running back, and Adam Gase never seemed to commit to him, even though he was like the best player in that backfield. Hmm. So they do have some redeemable pieces, and on defense, you know, Rashad Jones is a good safety. Minka Fitzpatrick is a pretty good, like, jack-of-all-trades player. So they do have some talent. It's just yeah, I don't see them. I don't see winning in 2019 being a goal for them. And so, if you're, you know, their to- win total is the lowest in the NFL. It's like four and a half, five. I just, I don't think you can go on either side of that, right? Because a team, a team can luck their way to five wins pretty easily in the NFL. But if a team's not trying to win, that's also tough to to bet on week to week. The team that the team that's intriguing to me though, and and again, why it's gonna it, we have New England with over an 85 percent chance to win that division is just that. None of the teams are complete, and Buffalo, you know, fills this out completely. Buffalo is one of the best defenses in the NFL, I believe. Last season, in terms of expected points added per play, it was Chicago, Minnesota, and then Buffalo. Buffalo is a very good defense, as Vikings fans saw. The problem is, is their quarterback is not efficient, right? And when your quarterback's not efficient, you can win some games, and they won a lot more than I think some people expected last year, but on a consistent Game-for-game basis, you just can't count on Josh Allen to make the type of throws that you need to to win at the NFL at a sustainable level. So their over-under is about seven. I think the under is probably good for them, too. Josh Allen is like, what, Vince Young, where he almost can't throw the ball effectively but has the arm to throw the ball effectively and can run like crazy and make big plays with his legs and is hard to bring down, but can you really win with that consistently unless you have a great team around you? And, I mean, Cole Beasley they pick up. Zay Jones is going into his third year. He's been all right. But they, they just you know they, they stacked up the offensive line a bit, and everyone gets excited about that. But then I would always caution, hey, go back and check the offensive line signings from two years ago and how they performed the following year. And it's always tricky business. I think the Vikings could have done better than Josh Klein had they created more cap space. Mm-hmm. And some of the younger offensive linemen, like Jawan James, were interesting to me because they're 26 or something like that. But a lot of times you'll sign somebody who is toward the end of their career, they've been injured, and they've been great in the past, but maybe there's a reason their team is not bringing them back, like Mitch Morse, their center. And I feel like they signed a lot of those types of players and are banking on them to give them a lot, and if that defense falls off even a little bit, you're talking another 6-10 and 10 season. And it would take Josh Allen, in order to beat the Patriots, it would take Josh Allen being really good. And I've been extremely skeptical of that. Like, You know, it's funny about Josh Allen Lamar Jackson. is Everyone was very skeptical of Lamar Jackson's ability to throw the ball, even though he put up really good stats at Louisville, and a good program. And improved every single year, whereas Josh Allen got worse right. his, his penultimate year. Right. And, that's what, and that's what they're saying now in Buffalo is, oh, well, he's going to get better, he's going to get better. Like He didn't even get better in Wyoming from year to year. Yeah. 
And last year, I believe he was dead last in clean pocket quarterback rating, which is majorly problematic. So the East ends up becoming, as it always is, the least interesting division, except from this perspective. Let's, let, let's not just ignore here in the land of analytics at the PFF offices all the brilliant things that New England does to stay at the top, because I think it's very easy to say, well, I mean, they got Brady, so they're just going to be the best because he's the best. And I, I think he is the best in terms of quarterback, but what I'm fascinated by, Eric, is how New England is going to replace Rob Gronkowski. And I think it's very typical of Belichick to not trade for Kyle Rudolph, not try to just fill in that tight end spot and run the same offense, but instead add a bunch more weapons, a bunch of interesting wide receivers that they can bring in and try to fill it in with a a kind of a number of different people and a number of different strategies rather than just saying, oh, well, we'll just fill Gronk's spot with player X. Belichick seems to be aware that there is no just filling Rob Gronkowski's spot. Yeah, absolutely. And and he's done this before, right? So when they... When they lost Randy Moss, right? When Randy Moss lost his fastball, they didn't try to replace him with another outside receiver because they knew they couldn't. They traded for Deion Branch to play in the slot and drafted a couple of tight ends in Gronk and Hernandez, right? And that that would that worked for them for a while, uh, and then that became you know something you know that they you know last season when they lost Josh Gordon in the middle of the year, they couldn't just fill his position on the outside, so they just worked on Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl. He won the MVP. You know they do such a great job of knowing what's replaced and what's not and and when something when something not easily replaceable leaves they just change their focus right and and that you know i think one of the most brilliant things you know i think it was michael hawley wrote about this in in one of the books uh about belichick where he said you know early on he saw that ted washington was always undervalued on the free agent market and he figured out it was because no teams other than i think caroline and pittsburgh ran the three four right so if you're the third best you know, one technique nose tackle, right, in the NFL, and there are only two teams that run the 3-4, you're not going to get the type of money you should get. So instead of New England trying to get, like, the 15th best 3-tech, they get the third best nose, mm-hmm. and then they can pay him as the 15th best 3-tech, and, you know, and, and they can profit that way. That's always been the way that they've gone about it. And, and I think with them, you know, with Gronk, they know they can't replace him. There's no chance. He's, the, he's arguably the best tight end in league history. So what do you do? You change the emphasis of your offense. You, you throw them more to the backs and, you know, James White and so forth. You, you make, you know, more slot receivers. You get uh, Nikhil Harry as sort of more of that big guy wide receiver uh, on the outside, but also as a big slot player. You just change the emphasis of your offense. We're going to take a break here. So, well, let's real quick, though. Uh, AFC East, in terms of over-unders, what's your best bet? We can wrap up each division by doing your best bet for the AFC East. Uh, I'm going to say under seven wins for Buffalo. Okay. My parents will be upset. My my dad will be upset. He okay. wants it to be this year their year. Okay, and it never is. It just never. No, is. I mean, it just never. 2017 is. with Tyrod Taylor was their year, <laughs> but they didn't need him. Nine and seven, yeah. and then score four points or something in the <laughs> playoff game. It was one of the worst playoff games that history has ever seen. Yeah, it was. It was nine to six. I fell asleep. I think mid, even though that's my job to no watch one, football. No one will remember this, but I had the hottest take ever that is that is correct. The Bills, I think. We're driving at the end of the game with a chance to win when Tyrod Taylor got hurt. So Nathan Peterman comes in and throws a pick. I said they should have put in LaShawn McCoy at quarterback. (laughs) LaShawn McCoy could throw a football. They should have just put him in and had him try to run. 
and that would have been a better chance than putting in Nathan Peterman at quarterback. Anyway, uh, Cam Meller will join us when we come back. He covers college football for Pro Football Focus. So we're going to look back at the Vikings draft. You've heard about Bradbury. You've heard about Irv Smith. Who else should we be watching for? Cam is going to talk to us about that, along with a little bit of Gophers talk as well, and whether Gophers fans should be excited about P.J. Fleck in, what is it, Jonathan? We had the year zero. So this would be year so this would be three? Two? Two. I think two, because year zero, year one. You've got to have the year zero. I think this and is then year there's two, the year one. Right? Uh, year t- yes, that's correct. So this is year, we'll, we'll ask Cam when we come back here. On per- Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect your Join me and Dan Terhar this Saturday night for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United and Rail Salt Lake. Pre-game at 8.30 p.m., kickoff at 9, right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the Score North mobile app. All right, we are back here from the Cincinnati offices of Pro Football Focus. We'll be broadcasting here tomorrow as well before I head back to Minnesota. And then it is training camp time, everyone. If you are not ready for football, then I suggest you get yourself ready. Uh, joining us now, Eric Eager still here. Matthew Collar is Cam Meller. He covers college football here for Pro Football Focus. And we were joking around before the break, Cam, about year zero with P.J. Fleck. So this is only year two. You think it's year three, but P.J. Fleck will tell you it's only year two because there was a year zero. Um, tell us our uh, gopher outlook for this year with P.J. Fleck. The gopher outlook, it comes down to the quarterback, obviously, as just most all football does nowadays. So whether it's Zach Ennick said, getting the nod is what we're, we're thinking. It all, you know, it should heavily outline or look forward to Tyler Johnson playing. The highest graded receiver in the red zone and all of college football returning. Guy leads the nation in several, several categories that we do here at PFF. So I think he's definitely one of the more exciting players, and not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. What is uh, your impression of Fleck uh, from, it doesn't have to be necessarily an analytical perspective, but just from where he was at Western Michigan to the choice to go to Minnesota and what the potential is for the Gophers as a program? I think the potential's there. It's the potential's there to, to rival some of those other bigger Big Ten programs. I don't see why not. He's got the name. He's got the recruiting ability. It's just a matter of actually putting it all together, kind of like he did. It Maybe he had that one perfect season that mm-hmm. he had before he came over, and if he can put that together, but in maybe a couple of back-to-back seasons, I'm thinking we're talking a perennial contender, potentially. Potentially. That's right. If you tell people from Minnesota that, they usually go like, yeah, sure, okay. I mean, right. (laughs) The Twins are in first place for most of the season, and then the Indians win a couple games, and it's, all right, it's over. It's over. Just give the division to the Indians. Or if they are in first place, people will say that uh, the Twins will lose in the playoffs to the Yankees anyway. So that's just the Minnesota type of mentality. So when you say potentially P.J. Fleck could turn it around and become Wisconsin-like, uh, a lot of people naturally say, yeah, okay, show me first. Show you first. I think, uh, at least for this season, Tyler Johnson's worth the price of admission. Okay. Uh, tell me why you like him so much. Just everything about him. Contested catchability, ability to stretch the field, 
over the middle, short yardage, anywhere, outside, inside. He can get the ball no matter where whoever is that quarterback throws it. Is he a first-round pick? That's for uh, lead draft analyst Mike Rennert to decide <laughs> our stance You cannot at cop out. If you cover the college football, you've got to answer that question. I think just like last year, the wide receiver board will be all over the place in terms of where we evaluate. I think it's as stacked of a wide receiver class as we've ever, maybe ever seen coming mm-hmm. out. So I think projecting anyone outside of like a CeeDee Lamb as a first-round talent at this point or a Jerry Judy as a first-round talent is, is, a, is a little iffy right now. Well, that's a cop-out. Well, uh, isn't that, I mean, doesn't that sort of like show where the receiver position is, though? Because if you're in position to draft a receiver in the first round, it, it's not, there aren't that many Randy Mosses, there aren't that many Mike Evanses, there aren't that many Odell Beckham Jr., like the two seasons ago, we were talking about Ridley versus Moore, and we all thought Ridley would be taken ahead. But really, for the team that actually ended up drafting a first-round receiver, DJ Moore, the guy that runs crossers, does things after the catch, he was really the one that they preferred for their offense, whereas you know Calvin Ridley was the guy that the Atlanta Falcons preferred for their offense. They just happened to pick differently. Sure. And so and, you know, it even got down to this year. We were talking about DJ Metcalf as a first-round pick, possibly. He ends up not being there, anywhere near there. And you know, Nikhil Harry was sort of of like exactly what New England wanted, but if they didn't pick at 32, he could have been a third-round pick as well. So it's just a really strange position to project where guys will go. Talking with uh, Eric Eager and Cam Meller at uh, PFF underscore Cam on Twitter. I'm sorry, did you have a follow-up no, on that? that's me. I'm yeah. just saying Tyler Johnson, I think, has the skill set of a similar, or maybe what the NFL will uh, peg as sort of like a J.J. Arcega-Whiteside skill set. Guy that can get it in the red zone, can get it over the smaller defensive backs. So that means he'll end up in Philadelphia and score a key touchdown against the Vikings. See how this works? Sorry, it's, very easy, sorry. it's very easy to do if you, when you start to get your Minnesota mindset. Uh, Cam, tell me about Dylan Mitchell. He's an intriguing guy for me because of his athletic profile and his numbers that he put up at Oregon. And I think the natural question is, okay, well, it's Oregon. They spread it out. They throw it all the time. Do these numbers mean anything? He's a seventh-round pick that caught my eye during minicamp. You can look out there with guys who are drafted, even when they're in shorts, and go, okay, that guy kind of looks like an NFL athlete, and that's what I thought of Dylan Mitchell. Yeah, I think in that Oregon offense, it's you got to take it with a, bit, a grain of salt, maybe, so to speak, in terms of what numbers they can put up from a raw box score perspective. So while he did have the yards and the touchdowns and everything, he did only catch 57.7 or 57, just over 57% of the catches thrown his way. All of that wasn't on him. He did have eight drops, but Herbert did a little, struggle a little bit getting the ball to him uh, late down the stretch. But it's a he's a guy we liked. He's a guy that, you know, he didn't quite make our draft steals list, but he was our one of our day three picks that we liked of the nine on day three for Minnesota that we really liked. Um, 154th ranked player on our board going that far down. And why so. they drafted this many players <laughs> on day three. I, I was showing up on day three to cover the draft thinking, like, okay, it should be a pretty easy day today. And then there's the, the seventh round is the longest round of my life. It was a, it was a long day for all of us, I think. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, was there anybody else that stuck out to you? Don't say the long snapper. That the Vikings used with all these late-round picks. I mean, this is a team that every so often, and I'm sure every team can make this case, but I just cover the Vikings, who will see somebody surprise you and then all of a sudden become a contributor right away who's not a first-round draft pick. Is there anybody that kind of stuck out to you that was down the board and, and not Brad Barry or Smith? So I think you got two that you can look forward to. A day three guy in Armin Watts, a guy who had a better pass rush grade from the interior than a couple of other uh, higher drafted players, including Tristan Hill of the Cowboys. Guy did mm. it. He won with speed, but he also won with power through the middle. 
coming from a bigger school or a bigger conference at least, I think he he projects well to actually play early, perhaps maybe or see some snaps, maybe in some pass rush situations on the inside. But I know the running backs, uh, it, it, PFF stances at running backs don't matter as much <laughs> anymore, and I think we can see yeah. that with Dalvin Cook's injury history and and the abil- inability to see the field through a healthy full season. As a Florida State grad, I've watched Cook forever at this mm-hmm. point. It seems like. But Alexander Madison, he did just about everything you would expect a guy to do in the Mountain West. It led him, led the conference in just about every metric we track, including missed tackles, but that was by an astounding number. I think 68, and the next closest was 43. So we're hmm. talking he ran through and around the, the lesser competition that he should have done, like you would expect of a guy like him. And he's just a guy he, you know, our Austin Gale. Really, Eric? Really? Naturally. My bad, My bad guys. Really? He didn't want to hear me talking how, about running backs. How loud does the phone need to be on ring? This happens to me sometimes, and everyone yells at me. I so. think the first time I ever hosted with you in the 1500 station, it happened. We don't talk about the past. Uh, continue, yeah. Cam, on Alexander Madison. <laughs> As I talk about Alex, his 2018 season, naturally. I can hear it vibrating. <laughs> really? This guy. <laughs> Can't bring Eric anywhere anymore. Oh, man. You, just, you start talking about Mountain West running backs, and then... <laughs> You just people are people are calling you to say stop talking about running backs. Uh, Madison, though, they seem to be really high on him, and they traded down repeatedly in the third round to take him. Something that I criticized them for a bit because there were other positions there that I think do have more value. But this is your backup plan if Delvin Cook gets hurt. And it, you know, you can pick up anybody off the street, but you might as well get somebody that you're high on at that point in through the draft process. He doesn't quite have the pass catching ability out of the backfield, but. He did have 20, over 25% of his carries resulted in a first down or a touchdown, so he can move the chains for you in the short yardage situations if you need him to. But I think he's a guy that actually does see the field this season, and maybe even a lot, unfortunately, if Cook can't play a full 16. Uh, Cam, you came in and you said, oh, Minnesota, Hercules Mata'afa, huh? Uh, why are you interested in Hercules Mata'afa going into training camp? Here? So we talked about it, you and I talked about it, and you know, I think he played out of position in college, but and Eric has done documented studies here that playing the position in college and then playing that same position at the NFL level is better translation towards what you can do. And so I think if he does switch back to the interior, he's a guy who, from the interior, was against strong Pac-12 interior offensive linemen, and he pushed the pocket better than just about anybody during his time at Washington State. 34 pressures in every one of his seasons, increased his pass rush grade each year, limited his missed tackles, got to the quarterback more often than he did not. And so we're talking a guy, if pass rush situations, third downs, if they need an extra pass rusher this year, put him at nose, put him just off, shade him off the center at this mm-hmm. point, let him do what he does best, and that's get after the quarterback. Well, It's really interesting to me with the numbers, because I remember looking through the PFF's college stats on Mata Afa and just being wowed by what he was able to accomplish there. But then you look at the stats from how, you know, how, how tall he is, mm-hmm. how much he weighs, and you go... Uh, okay, well, that's a uh, outside linebacker, maybe, or something like that. And they did try to fiddle around with him at different positions, but this franchise of any should know, with John Randall, that that three-technique position, especially if you have a solid nose tackle like uh, Linval Joseph, that if you could beat guards consistently, it doesn't matter as much if you're not great against the run because other people around you will help. Right. And he he also brings that skill set. He was decent against the run as well. So whether that actually means anything going forward 
or not, it you know that doesn't matter. I think honestly, his bread and butter should be his pass rush and let him get in there for two hundred snaps of rushing the passer and see what he can do. All right, you, so your focus is studying college football. Tell me where PFF is with college football analytics because this has been an area of interest of mine when I try to cram for the draft. You know, when the football season gets over and then you've got a few weeks, uh, depending on how far the Vikings go, and all of a sudden it is draft season and I'm looking back and I'm studying all the different things with college football. And sometimes with the draft stuff, it can really tell you exactly how someone's going to look in the NFL. Other times with draft analytics, it can tell you nothing like Bucky Hodges had great <laughs> analytics and was cut after training camp because he couldn't figure out an NFL offense. So where do we stand here at PFF with uh, the growing world of college football analytics? I think we're there. I think we're actually going to be one of the forefront members, so to speak, the the We'll beat everybody else is what I think the goal is. We're putting in uh, more resources this season than we ever have towards coverage. So our Twitter account was what basically all we used to do for it. We obviously tracked it every single play, every game at the FBS level. Uh, we've now gone back. We've done some FCS games, some notable quarterbacks, their entire careers to work on studies at future growth from college to pro. That's Eric's uh, forte, his area. But I think we're definitely this year will be you'll see more college content uh, and more college studies this year as we kind of break ground into what the college football analytics world can be. So who's good? Bama? Yeah. Clemson? Yep. All right, I nailed it. There it is. Three and four is up for grabs at this point, though. So we were talking about this, Eric and I, about the different divisions and kind of your best bet. And uh, I don't know the college game as well because I'm covering the Vikings all the time. And I'm also not a gambler, but there are many people who have that sort of interest. So give me a best bet. Give me like, hey, this team's over under is not that impressive, or people are kind of sleeping on whatever university. Who is it that you're kind of intrigued by? Honestly, I think you have to start at the top. I think Clemson has the easiest road to a 12-0, and potentially 13-0 and season. They don't have a strong out-of-conference schedule at this point based on recent years. Trevor Lawrence is everything that we thought he could be in year one. And I think their division in the ACC is probably the weakest it's been in many, many years. So they get out of the their, their divisional ACC play unscathed. They'll have to play maybe a Pittsburgh team that could pose a threat to them at some point which they always tend to drop that one but I think whatever they're sitting at I think Clemson is your safest bet going forward but I do you know something to be said about a team like Oregon out there returns all Mm -hmm. five starters we're talking 2900 snaps played by their five offensive line starters Justin Herbert comes back they have a great offensive line name who is it the guy Throckmorton that's right Shane Lemieux. If the Vikings don't draft a guy named Throckmorton, then you can't fit in in Minnesota. Then it's just. um, (laughs) I'm just done covering the team. I'm sorry. I need Throckmorton here. Uh, One interesting one I like for the national championship is if you look at if you bet Georgia, you're going to get something like seven to eight to one. And I think if you look at they have to go through Alabama, obviously, and that's been an issue for them last year. They didn't make even the playoff after losing to them uh, in the SEC title game. But you know, Jake, you know, we're talking about a a really good Jake Fromm has like held off all these quarterbacks, right? And he, you know, one of the better graded guys that we've had. So if Alabama falls off even a little bit, once you get into that playoff. 
you know, I, I like something that's eight to one once you get in that playoff. Well, and every time Georgia's played Alabama the past two seasons, Alabama's needed two quarterbacks to beat them. Right. Both so whether it was Hurts and then Tua and then Tua and then then Hurts again, we're talking a Georgia team that has been the only legitimate threat outside of Clemson to Bama. Yeah, LSU also comes back a great defense. Joe Burrow is another one where I think they're going to try to do more things to help him in his second year coming over from Ohio State. I mean, the whole Southeast and you know ACC, yeah. all that kind of stuff, I mean, they're all great. Uh, you, you almost can't go wrong sort of like sprinkling a little bit on each one of those. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a really fun year of college football now that we know that Alabama is not invincible anymore. Uh, at PFF Cam to follow Cam Meller all season long. I see you've put out some quarterback stats that are kind of intriguing on your Twitter account. So appreciate the insight and you stopping by. And uh, if Hercules Mata'afa becomes the next John Randall, then you will be thrilled. And we could say you called it. It's my, it'll be my pleasure. And Hercules, if you hear this as well, please don't let us down. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, at PFF Cam is where to follow his work. And of course, PFF.com from the Pro Football Focus off. Offices. We'll take a quick break. We've got hot routes coming up at 3 o'clock Minnesota time, 4 o'clock here. Also, we're going to go to a Reds game later, which I'm really excited for. Yasiel Puig bobblehead night, which is a great reason to go. Um, so we will continue to discuss different divisions, best bets in those divisions, and we'll also talk Vikings defense with Austin Gale coming up uh, in the second hour as well. So we'll take a quick break. Be right back from the PF. 2.43 here at Score North. Time for your Score North download. This morning on Good Morning Football, they were talking about the most undervalued teams in the league this offseason, and Kirk Cousins' former teammate, D'Angelo Hall, said this about the Vikings. I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm going for the simple fact that I think this team can really win a Super Bowl. Okay. Um, this team was so close two years ago. They bring in a guy like Kirk Cousins, who you think will be the saving grace, right? You, you think, oh, He's, he's not Case Keenum. He can make, you know, he's a little bit better of a quarterback is what the perception is. You know, Kurt struggled a little bit. The defense struggled a little bit. I think now that defense, they ended the season playing great football. I think they'll start next year playing really good football. Kurt, another year in this offense with those mm. guys. Kurt's not a guy who was going to jump in day one and be amazing. He's, he's a he, he is a nerd. And, 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 and I love that about love. And you have to be a nerd. You, but Kirk Cousins' ability to, to get in that playbook and understand every intricacy in that playbook is what makes him special. So, Vikings fans, you agree with Hall? Have the Vikings been undervalued this season? Let us know at Score North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. What a strange attempt who, at analysis that who was. Is Kurt, right? Who is Kurt Cousins, yeah, by the way? Th- that was, he was <laughs> clearly saying Kurt. Also, I would point out that that was D'Angelo Hall, right? Yes. He said after 2017 that I presume uh, he would call him Kirk in most interviews instead of Kurt over and over again there, um, that he said that Cousins was not focused on winning with Washington and was focused on his own quarterback situation. So he flamed Cousins on the way out of Washington and is and then goes, he's a nerd. He's a nerd. And I'm like, oh, okay, but are you like behind the Vikings here or not? Because it sounded like you're sort of insulting Kirk Cousins in a way, but then also coming back and saying he'll know the playbook. I'm pretty sure that all the quarterbacks know the playbook. It was just, I don't even know what to make of that. Well, I think when, when folks talk about like underrated or undervalued teams, they often immediately default to teams that they don't think actually have a chance. 
And so maybe like this idea that you know if Kirk Cousins is the quarterback for the Vikings, Kirk. maybe they don't have work it. on that in broadcasting school. Whereas if I'm going to look at like an undervalued team, I'm going to think like uh, think of a team like Pittsburgh or think of a team that you know was good and then you know folks sort of wrote, wrote them off. Tennessee, for example, like you know weirdly had a weird better record than the Vikings last year. So like those are sort of the teams I'd look at. Yeah, it seems like he just defaulted to a team he didn't think had any chance. Uh, and then sort of tried to like reverse engineer this idea of them winning the Super Bowl. It was almost like he didn't think about it before and just shot a team out of his face and then tried to work around it, where he's talking about Cousins knowing the playbook and being a nerd. And like, How exactly does this prove that they're going to be a, that team that's undervalued? And the other thing, too, is they're just not. I mean, I, mean, I saw Bucky Brooks included them in his sleeper teams. Like, they're not any of these things. Yeah. They're a Super Bowl or bust type of level team that was in the NFC Championship two years ago, and just because you came short last year does not mean that you are under the radar. Like They have a bunch of national TV games. They are in the white-hot lights of the NFL, and I don't understand why people will say, oh, they're the team everyone's forgetting about. Like, well, What? And we talked about this last week when I was on the show is like what are the Vikings expectations like the go, a year of not playing well and going 8 7 and 1 does not decrease the reason Kirk Cousins is there in mm-hmm. the minds of the contract and in the minds of the coaching staff like they as you said they are a super bowl or bust team the fact that they took 5 steps back from that from the end of 2017 doesn't negate that fact. It doesn't mean, you know, and, and the fact that they've tried to run it back with the same basically the same defenders minus Sheldon Richardson and a revamped offense just sort of underscores that, right? And in my mind, too, when we talk about teams that are off the radar, whatever phrasing was used there, it's Oakland, it's Cincinnati, it's Jacksonville. It's teams that were bad last year that might come up and surprise you. Tampa Bay. The the Vikings were a couple of field goals and maybe one botched second half of a Week 17 game away from being a really good team with, a, with an excellent record. And the, the whole thing, I mean, he even said... Just to completely break down the obscene level of inaccuracy of that 30-second soundbite was, well, the defense fell off last year. No, they didn't. That is, that is one of the biggest misconceptions. They have one bad game in Los Angeles, which find me a team in the National Football League that didn't have one bad game defensively in a year that everyone set records on offense. And the the Vikings, you said expected points, they were second best in the NFL. Yards, they were fourth best. Where does this idea no. come from that the defense wasn't good enough last year? Well, the, the reality of the situation, and, and I think a lot of Vikings fans don't want to come to grips with this, is the 2017 Vikings leaned into a situation that will never be it will never be more conducive than it was that season. When you have a season where Andrew Luck's injured, you have a season where Jimmy Garoppolo only plays like five games, uh Deshaun Watson gets injured, Aaron Rodgers gets injured, the the average expected points that year were so the, having a, a brilliant defense benefited the teams like Jacksonville and Minnesota so much more because the, the the whole league was ripe for defense to matter more. Last season, they were second in expected points added, but the fact of the matter is defense just doesn't matter that much in an average NFL season because these quarterbacks, as we saw in that Los Angeles game, great quarterback play, great offensive schemes, just beat brilliant defenses more than they don't. Uh, and that's that's why you see a team like the Bears. They didn't advance very far last year, even though def- defense was their calling card. It's just the league is not that sensitive to great defensive play. And Cody Park, he couldn't make a field goal, which was on uh, last night. Yeah. I had that on. I was uh, listening to my wife call the Lynx game, and I was watching that playoff game on TV on mute. And uh, 
Cody Parkey lines up the first one, nails it right through, and then everyone looks around like, oh no, this icing is going to work, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Bears it did. The Bears lost that game because they scored 15 points in a 2018 NFL game. Right. Like, that's, yep. you know, and as much as Trubisky was great on that last drive, like, they lost because they made a bet that they could win in the playoffs with a great defense and a middling quarterback at best, and that's just not the bet that you make. And unfortunately, I think many Vikings fans fear that that's the bet the Vikings are making, a brilliant defense and a middling quarterback. And and hopefully, if you're a Vikings fan, you know some of the, the things revert to where that's effective, but there there are going to be a lot of universes where that's not the case. I mean, it's, it's really simple to me with the Vikings, is don't even bring up the defense. Like It's going to be good. Whether it's the second best or the eighth best, yes. somewhere in that ballpark, it's going to be a good defense unless a, a tornado sweeps through and takes all the defensive players and Mike Zimmer. Like that's and even George Edwards called the game and their defense was good uh, in 2016 against the Dallas so, team that I, was 13 and three. Yes, exactly, and they should have won that game. Uh, but Thielen fumbled for, a punt. Yeah. yeah, and they also got. Uh, screwed on a call at the end of the game. The two-point conversion. But... Yep, yep. Somebody hit Sam Bradford in the face, and then it was just like not called. Yeah, and, yeah. Okay, whatever. But they, they probably should have won that game and been a playoff team, actually. Anyway, uh, so we've just been in the midst of different conversations, throwing out a division and going with best bets and kind of a little analysis of what we think as everyone's looking at their over-unders going into the season here. And the uh, the AFC North, I really like to talk about the AFC North because I just don't know what Baltimore is going to do. And I just don't know what Pittsburgh's going to do. And Cincinnati, even though Jonah Williams got hurt, I feel like Cincinnati came out of the gate last year surprising us with how good they were. And then, of course, Andy Dalton goes down and Jeff Driscoll is a guy we'll remember 10 years from now and laugh. So uh, what do you make of uh, the North? It's really interesting because I currently... If I were using you know our projection system, I think Baltimore's got a higher probability of finishing last in that division than they do first, right? Wow. Which is a hard thing to say given yeah. they were the division champions last year. But you know, and we like Lamar Jackson, right? We you know he improved a lot. His data so far would suggest though that there's it's not as it's not as good of a passing game as even Cincinnati, right? They have the fourth best passing game in that entire division. And passing as wins in the NFL. The Baltimore showed that in, in a pinch, you can sort of reformulate your offense and win games, much like the Denver Broncos did in 2011 with Tim Tebow. And we, we've seen that a lot of time, you know, but in terms of starting a season with a run heavy offense, it's just not something that's sustainable at the NFL level. And, and so, you know, I'm a little down on Baltimore, even though I think as an organization, they generally do the right thing. They're very smart. Um, I'm higher on Pittsburgh than I think the market is. Uh, I have them as the favorite to win that division with Cleveland second and then Cincinnati and Baltimore kind of in that same spot. As you said, the Bengals, we, we forget that Tyler Boyd had a 1,000 yard season in AJ Greenstead. AJ Green is still one of the best receivers in the league. Uh, their defense was one of the worst in the league last year, but they have talent that can sort of regress. Defense generally yo-yos more, so if you have a terrible defense one year, you're more likely, you know, like the Vikings in 2012. 
have a defense that's average, and oftentimes that you know is mistaken for being good. Um, and then Dalton was the 13th highest graded quarterback last year, so he was actually in sort of that Kirk Cousins range, uh, and they really did miss him when he was out. So I think they're going to be, you know, I think Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are undervalued here, and I think Cleveland and Baltimore are overrated. Uh, going into yeah, the season. The, the Cleveland thing is just never-endingly interesting to me because they have put so much talent there, and you are a believer in Baker Mayfield. His shoe is here at the PFF offices. <laughs> His jersey is in the other room. Uh, you, you guys buy into Baker Mayfield as yeah, yeah. Uh, an emerging great quarterback, and we talk about how the quarterback play is the number one thing that determines where you end up as a team, but you're saying that it's possible that Cleveland could be overrated. Which which is it? I think it's a lot harder to go from zero or seven wins to ten wins than it is to go to zero from zero wins to seven wins, and I think that that's really what Cleveland is going to be dealing with here. Um, I, you know, we're obviously encouraged by Mayfield, but the other thing is, is there are what there are ten to twelve really good quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and even if Mayfield penetrates that group. There are only 12 playoff teams, right? And there are going to be some teams with average quarterbacks that make the playoffs. There are going to be teams that sort of like do better than expectations. So I like Cleveland moving forward. I hope if they go 9-7 and seven or 8-8, eight and eight, I hope they don't break it all apart. I hope they continue to stay the course. But all these teams that pop up oftentimes just regress a little that second year when everybody's gunning for them. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's part of a process. I don't think Cleveland goes from seven wins to 12. I think they go from seven wins to eight or nine wins, sort of more what the market says. Uh, and in that case, I think it's, it makes the division ripe for Pittsburgh to sort of reemerge and be the champion again. So best bet is what? Baltimore under? Uh, that's a good one. The one I really like, though, is you're actually, if you want to go to the and bet on Pittsburgh simply to make the playoffs, that prop, it's uh, it's even money. And we more have it as like a 60% chance of happening. So, uh, and in that realm, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can cash that bet. You know, Pittsburgh, Cleveland can still be brilliant and Pittsburgh get in on a wild card, or that entire division can be crap and Pittsburgh could win it at eight and eight. Like, there's a ton of different ways uh, that that one cashes. And I think, you know, you, when you have Big Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Fame player, you have Juju Smith Schuster, one of the emerging wide receivers in the NFL, Mike Tomlin as a coach and an improving defense that added pieces in Steven Nelson. Uh, and Devin uh, Devin Bush, I think that they're going to emerge this year and at least win the nine ten games they need to to get the playoffs. Coming up next, it is hot here in Cincinnati. We just like walked outside and it was really hot, and then it started raining. And not, well, now actually the temperatures dropped to seventy six, so it's not as hot. What that ne- means is that we need hot routes. This is so weird. Does this happen all the time in Cincinnati? It's seventy six degrees right now. It was ninety something when we went to lunch. And then it says by eight o'clock at night it's going to get seven degrees hotter. All that then means is it's seven. Stop what is happening here? Reds game. It's going to stop raining for the Reds game. Man, I like the consistent weather yeah. of Minnesota. Consistently bad, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's summertime. You know, not to ever criticize the summertime of Minnesota. All right, we will take a break. It is the hot routes. I, I was going to say, how did I get into the weather here? And that's how hot routes coming up next. From the PFF offices in Cincinnati with uh, Eric Eager for Pro Football. Think you can only get groceries delivered through Instacart? Actually, you can shop over 900 stores, including Best Buy, Kroger, Sephora, Safeway, Bed Bath & Beyond, Dick's Sporting Goods, and more with fast delivery today. And with Klarna, you'll have more time to pay. So if you need a beret, a fillet, or stuff to play croquet while listening to reggae down by the bay with a divorcee and a toupee, Instacart and Klarna is a better way to shop. Man, I lost it. 
Download the Instacart app and start shopping. Terms apply. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.